Deshaun Watson. And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast. Your Houston Texans are through by 22-19 to 19 victory against the Buffalo Bills in overtime. Only just, but we're there. We're joined by a special guest from Houston. Can the Texans beat the Chiefs to go to a place we've never been before? Let's get it. Delighted this week to be joined on the Turn Up For What podcast by Jason Braddock from the Late Hits ESPN 97.5, Houston weeknights from 7 till 9. Jason, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm good. I'm good. Well, it's always always good after a, a playoff win. I think it seemed an unlikely playoff win. Um, in many ways, it was a game of two halves. Um, and I think I wouldn't be alone in thinking that a lot of the time in the first particularly in the first half and even well in the third quarter. It seemed like a repeat of the the wild card disasters that we've had under Bill O'Brien. It, it absolutely did. It started off as the same way the wild card weekend started last year with uh, Texans going down 21-0 against the Colts. Also, if you go back a couple of, uh, couple of years farther, you had the 30 to nothing defeat at the Kansas City Chiefs, who coincidentally enough, they faced this week in the divisional rounds. But at this point, I mean, your players took the game on the back on the offensive side, Deshaun Watson, and then J.J. Watt with a key sack that uh, keeps the game, it keeps them in um, – to a field goal instead of another touchdown, which the defense did pretty consistently there in the first half. That keeps it a 16-point game, a two-score game. Uh, and then Deshaun just really took the the offense on his back. Whitney Merciless just got a new payday. He came up with a big force fumble. And Jacob Martin, who was part of that um, Jadavion Clowney trade, he came up big with the fumble recovery there. Yeah, I think there was, there was some highlights in the second half. I think what was probably concerning – for me, and certainly as you talked about, you know, traveling up to KC, a team that we've already beaten this season, uh, and we looked good that day, and we, we left at least, you know, 16, 19 points on the field that Sunday. We looked really good at that point of the season. Uh, we're going to have to find a way to be more consistent uh, in, you know, down in and down out on this offense because that's what leads this team. But again, Jason, it was slow starts that keep pl- plaguing this team. What do you think is, is behind the slow starts? Well, I don't know if Bill O'Brien's changed his philosophy in recent years or not, but I just remember his first couple years here uh, when I would speak with him, he would always talk about how they didn't game plan the beginning of the game or script plays, if you will, when most of the NFL is known and even Gary Kubiak who was here before Bill O'Brien would script the first 15, 20, 25 plays. That's something Bill O'Brien um, had consistently said in the past that he didn't do. And you kind of look at the track record of the Texans this year being one of the teams or maybe the top team or at least least scored points there in the first quarter, they may need the zig where they've been zagging and starting to come out better because a second year in a row you have a wild card game started with zero points in the first half. That cannot happen with Kansas City. You mentioned the Texans beating the Chiefs earlier this year, but that was a banged up Pat Mahomes. The conditions weren't the same. The Chiefs in that game, even though it wasn't Arrowhead, it wasn't the same defense. They started gelling as the season went along. Tyron Matthew, a guy the Texans gave a one-year deal to last year, um, 
went and apparently he was out of the pay scale for the Texans and free agency after speaking with the Chiefs for around $14 million a year. And he made the all-pro team this year for the Chiefs, and he's really the staple to the back end of that defense. Also have a lot of big guys up front. Uh, that being said, I think this is going to be your – your classic Rocky Balboa, Apollo, Apollo Creed, where they're both just matched equally, uh, evenly throwing haymakers at each other, going back and forth on the offensive side. I expect a shootout in this game. Yeah, I think so. We'll maybe touch on that a bit before we, we wrap up. But it, again, it was, it was the what what certainly O'Brien credited the Bills in his press conference on Monday was the 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 job that they did on on. You know, on the defensive side of the ball, and the defense is probably uh, of the Bills is probably a better unit than the than the Chiefs will face. But as all the Chiefs have improved, and they're, they're one of the ascending form teams as the as the league season closed this year. But certainly for for me, I think you know, and you know, the Bills defense wasn't one that blitzed a huge amount. But it seems like for whatever reason, the protections weren't set right. We, you know, we went to our our two receiver routes with and the max protect didn't quite work for us. Teams seem to be wise to that now, not setting the protections right and potentially not setting the hot hot routes right either. You know, when the ball's got to come out quick, and it just seemed like as an offensive unit, albeit O'Brien needs to get credit for the second half improvements that he put in, it just seemed like that, that part of the game, particularly in the second half, or sorry, the first half, they got it right in the second half. They just not seem to be reading the defence well enough uh, and, get, and getting the ball out quickly and starting and, and sustaining drives. Do you think that's on Watson or do you think that's on O'Brien, Jason? I think most of the game plan, and when you look, when you have a top five franchise quarterback in the NFL and they have the type of up and down season that we've seen from Deshaun Watson, uh, the player makes play. Going back to his high school days to his college game and the NFL game's a different beast. But that being said, um, you should be able to consistently get the most out of your quarterback. So I tend to believe that most of the game plan in and the uh, lack of production in these games falls on the head coach slash offensive coordinator slash general manager, Bill O'Brien. I think he's wearing too many hats and I don't think he's able to truly game plan in and out um, to the benefits uh, of Deshaun Watson and what, what he's able to provide as the signal caller. What we saw there in the second half was the Texans players just taking over Deshaun Watson carrying two bills on his back from the six yard line, dra dragging them in JJ Watt getting a huge third down sack to hold him to a field goal. Again, Whitney merciless, the force fumble, Jacob Martin, the fumble recovery, uh, Kymie Fairbairn banging in uh, some key field goals there. Uh, it was just the players taking the game on the back. And I think the players overcame uh, the, the scheme at that point in the wild card game. And you mentioned Romeo Cornell. This is something Romeo Cornell has done well dating back to his time with the New England Patriots and even the Patriots without Cornell when they didn't have a top-notch defense he would go to a bend don't break type of philosophy and that's what we saw yesterday with the Texans uh three key scores were held to field goals instead of touchdowns if they were touchdowns early in that game those would be backbreakers yeah, I think I saw you tweeted out as well about uh, Gary and Connolly. Now, teams have gone after him in the last few weeks. Tampa, James Winston went at him. Uh, Josh Allen went at him again, but he had two key pass breakups. One uh, right in the corner, or, or, or dived in front of the the uh, in front of the receiver when when Justin Reed's eyes had, had, had drifted inside, and then right right that was on first down. And I think luckily uh, for some Smokey Brown uh, footwork, he he found himself out of bounds, and that was a big big play that held them to three. But then also uh, to Duke Williams down the sideline, he managed to get a hand in there and, and break the pass up and. 
Garen Connolly, I think, you know, it was probably uh, the highlight of the first half of those two pass breakups. He seems to lack, I think, Jason, some, some long speed and, and against some receivers, but certainly uh, for the amount he was tested, I thought he held up well, and, and the Texans owe a lot to him for keeping him in the game in the first half. Uh, 100%. Uh, the quickness Garyon Conley plays with, the fluidity, he's able to get his hips around. He was a shadow on those wide receivers yesterday, and teams keep trying and att attacking him, but Conley keeps stepping up. He's a, uh, He was a secret superstar yesterday. He came up big. You talked about multiple touchdowns that were broken up by Gary Conley's play. John Smokey Brown with the great move inside beats most cornerbacks and probably beats every other cornerback on the Texans in that particular play, but Conley's able to flip his hips back around, lay uh, full extension all the way out to break up a, a touchdown. That was key. You mentioned the Duke Williams, the fight all the way through it, rip his hands through without uh, defensive pass interference and poke the ball out on another key touchdown on a ball that was perfectly placed by um, Josh Allen. And Duke Williams did a, a stellar job at going up, getting the ball and bringing his feet in. It was just great play by Gary on Conley. Uh, you mentioned the tweet I sent out earlier today. Gary on Conley, since joining the Texans in week eight, has 14 pass defense. That leads the Texans for the entire season. And he didn't even get to Houston until week eight. Jonathan Joseph was the team leader on pass defense with 13 for the entire season. Gary on Conley's already passing with 14 and he didn't get to Houston a week eight. So it really points, uh, to what you were saying about teams targeting Gary Ann Conley and him stepping up a big way there against Buffalo. And make no mistake about it, this was a big win for the Texans. We can dissect it and really get after them how poorly they played there in the first half, uh, getting behind 16-0. But to be able to fight back, this is a Bills defense that was at the top of the league in a ton of categories, number two in points defeat. Uh, points defense and number one oddly enough was the new england patriots so you had the patriots giving up 14 points a game the um bills giving up 16 points per game and two afc south teams the titans and texans dropped both of the top two defenses in the nfl so uh i guess the old adage it might not be dead but it is on this uh last legs in this now passing league uh, i think we've seen the death of defense wins championships with this passing league you got to have quarterbacks that can take over and the afc south stepped up big yesterday or saturday excuse me yeah i think i think it was, it was uh i think this this team is led by watson and it's been a big change i think as a, a houston fan watching this team over the last 10 years to see them evolve from an, a defensive-led team uh, when all the stars be on defense to be your you know your undisputed franchise guy in, in uh, under center and he, you know he came up he came up big for us as you said he he ran it in for uh, he dragged he dragged two uh, two bills with him into the end zone and I think when when they started playing um, it, and as you said it was all sparked by the JJ Watt sack and that, that was a big moment because of all the players to let you down, Hopkins fumbles, and he did the same against Dallas last year. You know he's carrying the, the ball like a loaf of bread, and he he fumbles it. And you thought at that point, I, I, it seemed like the game was dead, and and it was obvious on the broadcast when Walk you know got that sack, um, made it kept it, you know within touching distance that the, the offense came alive, um, and you know even even when we touched on Jacob Martin and what a fantastic addition he's been in an underrated part of the clowny trade i'd certainly had limited awareness of him uh, i'm sure it was temple that he came out of correct me if i'm wrong jason but he um and he he was you know he he, he drew a flag on the play before then picks up merciless's uh is 
is for or strip sack, and uh, you know, and he's a big, he's been a big contributor down the stretch, just as he was for Seattle last season. I think him and Watt and Merciless, uh, particularly on the three and out for the Texans to get the ball back to then go and take the lead. It seemed like not only did the defense start having some form of pass rush, but then the offense came alive, and it was the perfect storm for the te- for the Texans late and. I think I mean I I suppose Jason how how much how can you much can you quantify those those big momentum shifting plays the strip sack the what you know the 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 uh, the what sack and then and then also then the then the big forty one yarder to, to DeAndre Hopkins finally comes alive in the in the game was held out the first half for minimum you know minimal catches and then all of a sudden we're rolling on both sides of the ball. No, I, I, I mean, to quantify it, I, I think it's to, without oversimplifying it, I think it's the difference of a win and a loss. I mean, they needed a momentum switch. J.J. Watt gave them kickstarter. When a guy, a face of the NFL like J.J. Watt makes a play, comes back uh, superhuman-like from an injury that he shouldn't be coming back this early from, uh, fires up his team. And then not only that, he doesn't just show up as a name on the stat sheet playing limited time, but to make a key play on limited refs like that, I mean, the rest of the team feeds off of that. And then that's all you needed to get Deshaun Watson started. Once you get uh, that big play, yeah, you saw the embrace from J.J. Watt and Deshaun Watson after the game. Uh, it was that kickstart uh, to Deshaun Watson from J.J. Watt. And at that point, when Deshaun took over, I believe you felt on that sideline the entire organization just really started believing like, Hey man, we can win this game. We've got Deshaun Watson at quarterback. We got JJ making plays. And then it's not coincidentally that that's when Whitney Merciless starts stepping up and Jacob Martin's in the right place. Um, and Whitney Merciless, if you look at the splits from this year of what he did when JJ Watt played, as opposed to when JJ was out, uh, he's a guy that plays well off of JJ. And he's also a guy that's played well uh, in the playoffs in the past. So it, it, I wouldn't say it was surprising and to see Whitney Merciless come to life when he was on the field with J.J. Watt. And you look at um, – you just look at how this team responds to that. When J.J. Watt was out, the guy who led the team in sacks was Jacob Martin. Three and a half sacks uh, in three consecutive games, he had sacks combined for three and a half. And so Jacob Martin has been uh, – I don't want to say a key addition, but it's been a welcome addition to where uh, he's been mostly for the majority of the season, a pass rush specialist coming down on passing downs, a third down situation. In the offseason, they'll look to continue to have him add weight and be able to help out as a three down a three down uh, backer. But at this point, uh, him as that pass rush specialist has, has been a welcome addition. Yeah, I think so. And he was a big turning point in that. I think, as I said, Hopkins got the 41-yarder. Uh, Watson zipped a fantastic ball in, into Darren Fells, who I thought had a good day. Barry's drop in overtime. We'll come on to that uh, for a third and three. There was a bit, a big third down there. Uh, Hyde needed two bites of the cherry. I think his eyes got a bit wide, saw the, saw the end zone wide open, dropped it. But then luckily, uh, you know, they schemed up quite a nice play where, uh, where, Car- where Carter motions left. Uh, still, stills. Uh, Runs it in route, and then uh, you know Hyde was in there to walk it in, and um, to to go for two points twice, Jason. I thought that that showed, and I think O'Brien to give him some credit this season. Uh, and we'll come down, come on to that the the fateful fourth down play that that should have sealed the game in a second. But firstly, uh, 
the, the aggression that O'Brien's shown and to go for two points I don't think he would have done that in the past and I think that was that was key for the team to go back and get Roaring back into this game the two points particularly the what the second one to Hopkins I thought was a nice design play you've got you got a bunch set on the right and Hopkins in the slot and it, it just it just looked like a it looked like an easy dink and dunk score for the Texans at that point took the lead and looked like they were in control and we're going to see out in, in, in regular time yeah, I 100% agree with you. I've been a, a big critic of Bill O'Brien, mostly on the coaching side. I think he's made some great moves as GM this year. Uh, coaching has still been questionable, but in that game, I, I'm not going to nitpick some of those decisions, and I liked a lot of decisions he made. Even the fourth down where they decided to go with it on Deshaun Watson, I like it. Put it out there. End the game right there. Yes, some people will say, well, go and kick the field goal force the Bills to um, force the Bills to go down and have to get a touchdown. Well, we've seen Comedy Fair, uh, Fairbairn, even though it was early on in the season, uh, he has struggled with five missed extra points, five missed field goals. Now, since that, uh, going into yesterday's game, he had 17 of 17 of his last extra points and seven of seven of his last field goals. But I don't think you, uh, as a head coach, I don't think you're as comfortable with Kami Fairbairn with um, the struggle he's had early in the season because even as consistent as he had been down the stretch, you still hadn't seen him in that big of a spot in a playoff situation. I'd rather give it to the franchise quarterback, the guy that's brought you back in this game, Deshaun Watson, to get one yard. Uh, just because he didn't get the first down doesn't make it a bad call. I like the decision for Bill O'Brien to go for it there, and I like the decision for Bill O'Brien to go for two to make it a one-score game against one of the top-notch defenses in the NFL. I think I think he made uh, the right decisions in a lot of big spots. Uh, I didn't like the challenge early in the game of the pass interference against DeAndre Hopkins because we had seen consistently through this year that they're not going to overturn that. Just because they said they will that you can challenge pass interference this year, you've seen the track record throughout the year, 90% plus, I would guess, had not been overturned. So I just felt like that was a waste of time out and uh, a waste of a challenge as well. But for the most part, I liked a lot of what Bill O'Brien did on big decisions. I didn't like his game plan there in the first half, and I think uh, his players stepped up and really saved him uh, from from some uh, bad headlines headed into Sunday. Yeah, and then I think I, I think the I mean the execution I think of the fourth down call was the problem. I think on the third down uh, run by Hyde as well, Star Lutalele uh, beats beats uh, Zach Martin up the middle. He does it again on the fourth fourth uh, fourth and one. Uh, they hadn't run a QB sneak all year, and you would have thought potentially, you know, a rollout or a or a, a dump off to the tight end, or you know, one of these kind of sort of core plays they've ran all season might have been, you know, a better call there because something that they've not, you know, they're not New England that, that have mastered that over the years that fourth and one QB sneak. So, um, you know, they give the ball back to 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 the Bills with one sixteen to go, no timeouts, um, and Roby should have sealed the game. He should have had a pick six on the Bills' second drive of the season. He's had a good year, Roby. They didn't really go on much should have sealed the game there and then all of a sudden the bills are down the, the field and we're going overtime uh, absolutely bradley roby since he came back from injury this year has been on fire you look at his production prior to injury to once he uh once he returned from it and he has just been completely lights out uh his coverage has been there he's made some big plays but yeah he did have two big drops uh possible pick six there early in the game that could have been a game changer uh early often 
I mean, early on. And then there later in the game, he, as you mentioned, he has an opportunity. It would have been a great catch, but I mean, it's, it, he's able to get in position and have it hit him in a bread basket right between the arms. Uh, you'd like to see him make those two interceptions, but the fact that you have Gary and Conley playing the way he has, Bradley Roby getting in position and the opportunity of turnover interceptions, it, it gives you it gives you a level of comfort or uh, um, feel good, if you will, going into this Chiefs game that they can uh, they can hang with the Kansas City Chiefs. Listen, at this point, if you're a Texans fan, you have to like where you're at. Yes, the Chiefs are a monster uh, to take on Andy Reid, calling that offense for Pat Mahomes with Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill and Demarcus Robinson and Sammy Watkins and McCole Hardman, Damian Williams. There's a ton of weapons there. It's a tough matchup, but your players have been stepping up. You've got J.J. Watt back in there, and you've got a guy from that 2017 quarterback class as well, Deshaun Watson, that can go blow for blow with Pat Mahomes. So I think you feel good as a Texans fan, and you're focusing on the positives as you're one of eight teams still left in the uh, in the NFL playoffs with a chance at a Super Bowl. 75% of the fan bases are sitting at home right now. You're part of the 25% that still has a shot at playing for the ultimate prize. Well, that's it. Yeah, I think I think you've got to... I think we had to win the game, albeit if it hadn't been for the, the, the blindside block, Cody Ford taking the block, the first-round pick, or second-round pick, rather. Should have been a first, but I think he fell to the second out, out of Oklahoma. Blocks Jacob Martin again. Is uh, is you know he's, ma- he's making plays for the team. Blocks it takes them at a field goal. Then what just has that magical play now? What I th- I th- he took seven sacks on the day. I could pr- you could pr- probably at least say six of them were on him for holding the ball. Particularly his first one holds on to it for over five seconds. Uh, but ultimately, I think the difference between the two teams is, is the end was when you saw Josh Allen panic. He tried the lateral. Uh, he tried to throw uh, to his to his his fullback uh, forty yards down the field in double coverage, and, and that was the difference between the two teams. Eventually, despite kind of letting them back into and go into overtime, uh, they were they, they were able to they were able to probably put what. A, and O'Brien said today it wasn't as good as the play against Oakland that he got kicked in the eye, but to 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 spin out of the play like he did against Matt Milano and the and the def- and the other defensive lineman that's come at him to find Tywan Jones and then from the most unlikely position of your fourth choice running back making a, a, a beating the man inside and taking it thirty over thirty yards to the game the the the, the game winning field goal it had to be a relief because if if it hadn't been for that penalty of Cody Ford we might not be talking about a game against the Chiefs next week. Uh, absolutely. And it was a bad call. If you ask, uh, in my opinion, it was a bad call against Cody Ford. Shouldn't have, shouldn't have been called there. It was called. Texans made the most of it. And like you said, Deshaun Watson has shown time and time again, dating back throughout the entirety of his career, that he's a special guy, that if you give him an opportunity, he can make the play and the play is never over. And we just saw it again there. You just run out. It, you just, it gets to a point where you just run out of things that you can say about Deshaun Watson because when he's on and when it's the biggest moment, moments he just takes over going into that game yesterday uh Deshaun and noon kickoffs had 10 passing touchdowns 10 interceptions in any game outside of noon when there's more eyes on him he had 16 passing touchdowns and only two interceptions. So on the biggest of stages, he elevates his game. We saw it at Clemson there at the end against Alabama coming back against an Alabama team. 
We saw him throughout the regular season. We saw him in the playoff game Saturday, down 16-0. He came out and played his best football. The difference between the first half Deshaun and second half of Deshaun were night and day. And that's who Deshaun Watson is. It's at the point now you're just not even surprised uh, by anything anymore, no matter how magical it is. That's Deshaun Watson. Yeah, I think so. I think he's, he's he, he potentially regressed in some of the, the things he's done, and he's been up and down this year, I think, because Deshaun's highs... You know, there's very few in the league, as you said. He's a top five quarterback when he's not on, and the and the and as exactly the the earlier kickoff games. You know, Denver, uh, Carolina this year. You know, potentially the Colts uh, on the road game this year that we lost was it was. You know, he just wasn't seeing the field, and he wasn't on. He did that in the first half, in the second half. What do you think, Jason? That it's that's that's going to allow him to to see the field and start hot next week because we're going to have to do that. And secondly. How do they get back to running the ball like they were in the early part of the season? Because and I was there in Kansas City in, in, uh, in week six and they just ran the ball down the throat. And, you know, Carlos Hyde, revenge game, had a big day that day. He, he was he, uh, picked up on the cameras by screaming and saying they can't stop us. Um, you know, and that's going to be the mentality the Texans have. So how do they get back to running the ball and then and then sustain drives and keep Mahomes off the field? Because that was the big reason why they dominated the second half and won it in week six. Yeah, I think a lot of it. We've seen Bill O'Brien and this team, when they play top-notch competition outside of the Baltimore game, they elevate their game. I think O'Brien has a better game plan. I think he uh, you know, calls a better game. I think you, Bill O'Brien, more than anybody, needs to come uh, with his X's and O's on points. Cause we watched him against that New England game, and the game plan was just perfectly on point. It's almost like he rolled everything out there for, uh, for the Texans' offense to really click. And it's like he put New England on a pedestal and I don't know if he spent more time that week, if he got more involved early on in the process of what happened, but it was a much more well-planned attack against New England. It was a great plan of attack against Kansas City in the second half where they decided to own that time of possession and really limit uh, Patrick Mahomes being on the field. I think that's another great game game plan. So uh, a lot of it's not just about the players. We got to make sure that Bill O'Brien is divisional round ready, and uh, that's nobody can tell you that other than Bill O'Brien. Yeah, it's it's going to be a concern, right? But the Texans have never got past this stage in their in their fledgling history. And you think for considering the trades, considering the move for Tunsil. I think I think many you know many of us would probably do that again based on the the, the, the play that Kenny Stills has brought over as well, um, you know with all these moves made in it, it feels like at this point that it's a game that they really need to win to show progress and not only get further than the Texans or to, to get to the same you know further the Texans have ever done, uh, but then to to you know all the faith that Cal McNair signed off into Bill O'Brien after he let game go and he made all these trades that there's probably you know without winning this game next week would you say this season's a failure based on all the moves they've made i don't know if i'd say it's a uh failure uh, maybe that's fair but i have been over the last couple months consistently on late hits on espn 97.5 me and my co-host patrick creighton we have said that uh you know he's asked me like what's a successful season so maybe failure is the right word and i said <laughs> with all the future assets that the texas have given up 
they have to make it to somewhere they've never been before. And I said, I'm fine with an AFC championship. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you even if they don't win the AFC championship, make it to the AFC championship because that's somewhere the Texans had never been before. And when you give up two first round picks in the tonsil trade, a second round pick in that trade, you give up a third round pick for Duke Johnson. Uh, you give up a third round pick for Gary on Conley, which you did get back in the Jadavion Clowney trade, but you give up a franchise player, number one pick in the draft and Jadavion Clowney. All these moves that had been made, you can't just make it to the division around and look at, at it as it was this huge success because you've been there before. Yeah, it was over Connor Cook when he came in, and this was over a guy in his first playoff experience in Josh Allen, but Josh Allen, there's a you know, a more capable quarterback by far than Connor Cook. And that was a good Bills team. But I think you have to make it past that. Go beat the Chiefs, get to the AFC Championship. And even though that's not the end goal for the Texans fans, the uh, Bill O'Brien or the team, I think you can say the moves that were made were worth it, worth it because you're finally seeing a progression to another level for a Texans franchise that you had never seen since the existence of the franchise in 2002. Yeah, that's right. And I think on the on our on our Twitter page, we we tweeted out before the game. I think two of the biggest questions that were going to be answered on Saturday were: Is Bill O'Brien, you know, the man to lead this this franchise forward? And he's been given, you know, you know, carte blanche by the ownership. That was going to be answered in point, and he he, he he's come past, you know, just not with certainly not with flying colours. Um, and then secondly, which who will be and by all reports will be back. Uh, on on Sunday against Kansas City, can the offense operate without Will Fuller? And I, I seeing Will Fuller this season, he just gives a completely different dimension to the offense. And I think when he's on the field, Deshaun takes his game to another level. And he just you know, and he does so much for you know leaving an extra safety in behind, not want to get caught underneath. But then he's pristine route running uh, in the underneath game. It uh, just opens up so many sections of the playbook that this team just isn't able to find without him. Um, and I know people have been critical of Will Fuller with his health situation, but I just don't think he's a guy you can let walk out your building after seeing the mistakes that we did uh, watching Clowney last night. Um, that he's a guy that, despite his health, despite not, not might not be necessarily popular with the fan base, he's so effective for this team. And having him back, Jason, I don't know if you agree, I think gives me a belief that we can go to Kansas City and beat them because if it hadn't been for his poor hands, he would have had at least three touchdowns on Tyron Matthew, who did make the All-Pro, which I'm not quite sure, based on the tape I've watched, how he made it. But, you know, you can't say enough about Will Fuller and the impact of his on this offense. Yeah, Will Fuller, uh, he elevates two positions. He gives you a better number two wide receiver, and he uh, shifts Kenny Stills back to that number three wide receiver, which is a huge upgrade over DeAndre Carter, Kiki Cutie, anybody else you want to throw in that mix for the number three wide receiver. So it gives you a great trio there and makes the defense really have to focus on the entirety of the offense. So it elevates it. As far as after this season, um, I don't know what you plan with Will Fuller because at some point when a guy is injured every year of his first four years you can't bank on him no matter if the offense is great when he's healthy because you don't know when he's going to be healthy he just missed the wild card games of the playoffs and if the Texans don't come back and win that game then you're really not getting anything out of them so I wouldn't be surprised if they moved on from him after the season try to get something for him because at this point you can't bank on a guy who's missed 100% time each of his first four years in the NFL and you don't get healthier as you get older. Yeah, what I find strange, Jason, I don't know if you've got any insight on this, is 
I know Kiki's been in the doghouse, but I, I watched him in Indianapolis when he made his debut uh, against the Colts uh, when they won the overtime game against Andrew Luck. And, um, and he looked fantastic that day. He looked one of the best rookies I've ever seen come into a team and make an impact immediately. What do you think stopping him coming back and giving us a bit more diversity in the passing attack? Because when he was at his best, Kiki looked good across the, in the slot. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with your confidence level. When you get in Bill O'Brien's doghouse, it's hard to work your way out of it. Jordan Thomas, as he's come back from IR, he hasn't been able to get out of Bill O'Brien's doghouse. He came out on a route, looked like Deshaun was getting ready to throw him the ball, and he slipped out of the route yesterday. I don't know if we saw him on the field more than uh, – two, three plays after that. Uh, and I understand that you're upset he doesn't make the play, but when Jordan Aikens is out of there, you can go with a 12 personnel of two monsters like Jordan Thomas and Darren Fells. You know, leave your, put your personal feelings to the side and scheme these big guys. Let Jordan Thomas go out there and make up for it. And Carlos Hyde, as you mentioned earlier on the podcast, uh, fumbles the opportunity to win the game. They come right back to him and he catches it and, uh, you know, for, for the winner there. So uh, Bill O'Brien is he's got his favorites and he got he has his guys he gets down on and he only lets his favorites have an opportunity to get themselves out the doghouse. We see it year over year with Bill O'Brien. And I, I just think that's one of the concerns when you have a guy who has absolute plow, power over the offense, the entire team. Team, and uh, not only as an OC head coach, but also as a general manager, de facto or not. Yeah, I think it's, it's the same with Jordan Thomas. I think there was a four-game stretch last year, I think, of the games against the Browns at home, Denver on the road. He looked unplayable, and he just, you know, and he's a big red zone threat, huge six-foot-seven frame, uh, huge catch radius. Looked like him and Watson had, had, had brought some chemistry together. Again, a player that, that, for whatever reason, as you said, Jason, I think sometimes he's guilty of making it personal. Um, that he's not uh, that he, he's not willing to work him back into the the offense um, as much as he probably should be to give us some diversity and it might be at the at the cost of this team. Hopefully, you know, I'd like to think potentially, you know, some of the reports continue to bubble that Nick Casario will come in and maybe give O'Brien a, a more balanced viewpoint and he's a good personal evaluator um, for this team. It will be after the draft by all assumption when his contract runs out in New England, but. Um, it's certainly something that uh, that I think will add some balance. So it's a big, huge game, um, you know, n next week. And you know, as I said, I think the the, the legacy of O'Brien and the, and the legacy of Watson, you know, rest on it. I think if we're to get there and make that progress in year three, um, then it's it's a it's a it's a big step because you have to make progress when you're young passer, under centre, franchise quarterback is on his rookie deal. O'Brien, as you mentioned, Jason, has really tried to get that get that done and make up for lost time and made some aggressive moves, but he's, that that's only sped up the process for winning. Now it's been reported today that Mahomes will get an extension in the off season, so you know you'll have to. We really want to do that, extend Watson before Mahomes, um, or other prices just going to go up it, um, even further. But it, it's a tough one talking about quarterbacks, Jason. I know you're uh, a, a great talent of evaluator of the game. Tua Tangaloa, despite his injury, said he's coming out. Uh, declared for the draft today. What do you make it to, and where do you think he might slip to based on his injuries? Uh, it's a great question. As far as the draft evaluations, I've been doing it for over a decade, but I, I do it a little bit differently. I wait until after everybody's committed, probably after the January 15th deadline, and then I go and study the tape at that point. Uh, I know a lot of people study throughout the year and watch it live. I like when all the emotions are out of the game and you're not getting – 
caught up to the ups and downs of it, just to study them all on an even platform at the end of the year. Uh, so at this point, you know, I really don't have a strong opinion on where Tua is going to land in the draft. But uh, here over the next couple of months, we'll really start grinding, uh, catching up on all these guys and uh, see see who's the real deal and what the future might hold for them in the NFL level. Yeah, I saw today there was there was rumors of potentially or a fit described it, and I don't know how, how accurate it is based on the different styles, but that, that potentially uh, after watching Tennessee go up to uh, Foxborough after our game on Saturday and when do you think Brady's done there in, in New England or where do you think his future lies? Do you think he'll sign up for another year? Um, the, it's it's hard to it's hard to bet against them, but yeah, I, I think the guy looked on this year. That Patriots offense, uh, very similar to what the Texans run. At this point, there's some heavy questions that I'm I'm curious about whether if that offense really clicks at its highest. If you don't have an elite tight end, we've seen what they do with Rob Gronkowski when you have a top-notch tight end, and we've seen in that same offense that mostly it's Deshaun Watson having to uh, either have the offense adapted a little bit or Deshaun Watson just going off a script to really make the offense click. So I have a lot of questions about the uh, Patriots offense, the way it rolls, and if you really need a top-notch tight end to to make it flourish at its highest level because Brady, all the different wide receivers they uh, ciphered in this year, uh, he just did not look the same. So uh, at this point, it's hard to bet against Brady coming back. Um, But – Maybe we've seen his last play. Yeah, I mean, it's it's strange to think that because they've been written off year after year and nobody, and they've always seemed to find a, find a way. But this year they just couldn't move the ball on offense, and it just wasn't working for them. And then finally, Jason, just you know, our our, our close neighbors up the road uh, in Dallas, Jason Garrett goes out, and it looks like Mike McCarthy signed sealed. What do you think of that move for for Jerry Jones and the Cowboys? I think it's another mediocre move. I've never been a big Mike McCarthy fan. I think he's one of these coaches that uh, land a franchise quarterback like Aaron Rodgers. And uh, any success you have through the quarterback, the coach is obviously going to be latched on to it. But I think Mike McCarthy's a mediocre head coach. I think the uh, Cowboys could have went out there and really made a splash and try to find – that next Sean McVay. And I know the Rams had a down season and everything, but I would look, if I'm the Dallas Cowboys, I'd look to find somebody that was a, a, a difference maker, a guy that you, that really fires up the fan base and a guy that you can, you have a lot, you know, a great feeling and him really building that offense up to a powerhouse with uh, um, Dak Prescott, Ezekiel Elliott, Mario Cooper, Michael Gallup, you know, and can really build up. I don't get that warm and cozy feeling with Mike McCarthy, and I think the Cowboys dropped the ball. Yeah, it seems it seems an odd move. You thought maybe a Lincoln Riley, Matt Rule kind of move would have been more something to, to you know to kick their offense on and 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 get the best out of Dak but you know let's I think I, I would agree with you on that one it, it doesn't seem to necessarily inspire much confidence but hey we'll take it I think they don't play them for another two two years after this season but um but yeah I, I think you're right and then looking at this weekend Jason uh the, obviously the Vikings with the shot beating the Saints potentially Breeze's last game at the 49ers uh and then the Titans are at the Ravens on the Saturday game how do you see them going yeah, I mean, it was a it was a shock. I did not see the Saints losing. I thought the Saints would win that easily going away. Uh, as far as the games this weekend, I think the 49ers uh, finish that off. I think they're happy with the matchup they get now. Uh, I think the 49ers finish it off. Uh, Packers-Seahawks is, is a really interesting one. 
I don't know if either one's great. I know what the Packers record is. I don't know if either one's great. If I had to decide between one or the other, I, I would lean towards the Packers. Uh, Ravens, Titans, no one's been able to slow the Ravens down all year. Vrabel might have a plan for it, but if I'm a bet man, I'm taking the Ravens in that game. And then the uh, Texans-Chiefs game, I really expect a shootout. Uh, if I if I had to put my money down, I'm putting it on the Chiefs, but um, – I think this is. I think it's going to be a close game. I think it's going to be a shootout, and I wouldn't be surprised to see this go back and forth. I think Deshaun uh, and Pat Mahomes both know that they were the tenth and twelfth pick in that 2017 draft class, and that they uh, they each have a point to prove, and that this is a legacy game for both of them. So I think both of them will put it all out on the field. For comparison's sake, like that Monday Night Football with Joe Montana and John Elway going back and forth and whoever had the last ball wins it. That's what I expect from Chiefs-Texans this weekend. Yeah, I think so. It's been held as as, as the Mitch Trubisky Bowl and every, <laughs> nice. every, every Chicago Bears fan can watch that and potentially think what they could have had. I think, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a, a big game. It's probably going to be a defining game in, I think, in franchise history and Watson's career. And O'Brien's career as well, and it's there's so much on the line for this team. And if they could find a way to do it this weekend, then it would be a huge step forward for this franchise somewhere it's never been before. And it's an exciting prospect, I think. And, and it's all down to Deshaun. And hopefully, it can be you know one of these one of these vintage performances, and we can see that the the lights are never too bright in mentality that he has, and he can he can show that he's a real a real winner. And I think you I mean whoever plays the Ravens, I think there'll be plenty of people in the AFC this season will be drafting big line backer hybrid safeties to cover up with these tight ends to find a way to stop their game Absolutely. Uh, because it's just it, it it's it's a unique blend of offense that Greg Roman's got going it'll be interesting to see how much the the Titans can pound the ball and and, and run it and uh, and see if Derek Hendry can keep on this form free agent at the end of the season they're going to have to pay one or the other I don't think they can afford necessarily to pay both him and Tannehill so we'll see how that goes but Jason thank you very much for your time sir uh, much appreciated. Um, that was Jason Braddock, everybody joining us on the Turn Up For What podcast. You can download Jason's uh, show, Late Late Hits, from ESPN 97.5 FM Houston. That's weeknights at 7 to 9 p.m. Central. Jason, thanks again for your time. Much appreciated. We'll need to get you to come join us again uh, once you've done some draft evaluations, looking at some of those later round picks. Hey, my pleasure, brother. We'll catch up with you soon. Take care. And that's all we've got time for on this week's Turn Up For What podcast. Thanks again to Jason Braddock for joining us on the Texans' victory against the Buffalo Bills in the wild card. It's back to Kansas City. Can the Texans be victorious in Missouri for a second time in this 2019 season and get to a place where all would like to go and we've never been potentially back to Baltimore to take the Ravens on? It's going to have to be the best of the best we've ever seen from Watson O'Brien to get there. Uh, but it's going to be a good one we'll be back next week to help you break that down and see where this Texan season either continues or ends but thanks again for joining us this year we're back this week we'll be back again next week and whatever you're downloading from wherever you're listening from we are Texans (laughs) 